What's up guys, Dalton here. Before we hop into this episode of the PT Coffee Cast, I just wanted to touch base with you and say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been rocking with us since day one, we appreciate your support. Every like, comment, share, subscribe, whatever it is, truly does mean the world to us and it continues to push us to put out the best possible content for you guys. Before we hop in, I just want to talk to you about our partnership with Physio Network. Physio Network is on a mission to improve physiotherapy standards worldwide. They do this through their research reviews. If you sign up, you'll get 12 research reviews per month in both written and audio form. Articles are selected and appraised by industry experts such as Sandy Hilton, Mary O'Keefe, Tom Goom. Um, former PT Coffee Cast guests such as Teddy Wilsey, Sam Spinelli, Jared Hall, Tom Walters, and plenty more. They're clinically relevant and recently published, and they take less than five minutes to read one review, saving you hours of work. This also solves that problem that we all struggle with. How do we stay up to date with the research? Physio Network has you covered. They also give you access to a members-only Facebook group, and you can do quizzes that will get you CEU points. They got it all. If you guys are interested in trying out Physio Network, you can start your seven-day free trial now by using the link in the show notes or our bio on Instagram. This will give you the option to play around, see what you like. Do you like listening? Do you like reading? And just seeing the amazing content that they give you guys, and then you will join because Physio Network is amazing. We love to hear from you guys. If you have signed up for Physio Network, please let us know how your experience has gone. We'd love to hear, and we can pass on that information to them. Also, we are super pumped to finally announce the release of the Movement Coffee Club. What is this, you ask? This is a way that you guys can continue to connect and support the PT Coffee Cast community. So we have three clubs available for you guys. We have the Espresso Club, which each month you will get a personal message from Will and myself thanking you for the support. The second club we have is the Cafe Club, where you get everything in the Espresso Club, as well as a shout-out on an episode, put on the list of the Coffee Club supporters, and a bonus episode each month. And then lastly, we have our favorite club, the Mug Club. You get everything in the first two clubs, as well as a PT Coffee Cast mug, a monthly coffee subscription of our own coffee blend, and a monthly Mug Club Zoom call. The reason why we put this club out is we want to continue to develop ways that we can connect with you guys, the community, as well as have an opportunity for you to support us, um, show us some love, and allow for us to continue to develop and put out the best possible content. You guys can support us for as little as $3 a month. This money is going to go directly back into the podcast for new things like audio equipment, video equipment for better video content, merch, coffee, everything's going to go back into the PT Coffee Cast so we can continue to provide you guys with some pretty cool opportunities. If you're interested in supporting us, you can check the link in our bio on Instagram at the PT Coffee Cast or at the Movement PTs and click the Coffee Club as well as in our show notes of each episode, we'll have a link there for you to head over and join. Guys, thank you so much for the continued support and we hope that you enjoy this episode of the PT Coffee Cast. Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee-infused conversations.
you know, the new, the new voice that everyone hears now. <laughs> um, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the PT Coffee Cast brought to you by The Movement. My name is Dalton, and alongside me today is my beautifully bearded friend, William. William, how are we doing today? I'm doing good, but, you know, I'm almost like regretting having the beard because of how hot it is today. It's been a humid day. I thought about you today as I went out for a walk. <laughs> Did you? I'm like, I couldn't imagine having the beard that you have as, you know, my beard is not quite as elegant as yours. Yeah, fair enough. But I appreciate you thinking about me. I'm always thinking about you. <laughs> I was thinking about you last episode. We missed you the last time. Uh, yeah, so I'm ha- right. we're, we're happy to have you back, um, sipping on some coffee and ready to jump into a, to a good conversation. That's it. Let's get into it. Um, all right, guys, we're back with another episode. So last week we talked to Ben Cormack. So we're kind of doing a little bit of a physio network type series. And we're talking to some different people who's contributed to that. Um, so on this week's episode, we have Sandy Hilton. She is a physiotherapist out of Chicago. She does contribute regularly to physio network. Um, she also has her own podcast that she co-hosts and we're super excited to have her on to talk about a variety of things related to pain. So Sandy, welcome. Thanks for having me. And it is a very fabulous beard. <laughs> I really appreciate that. You know, coming from you, that, that means a lot. I can, I can relate though, because I've just got all like all this thick hair and in the summer it has to stay in a ponytail. I have no idea how people do that. It's, it's already like a blanket. I could I'll not even imagine. <laughs> well, we just have to trust that it's going to get cold again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll be happy that I have it. <laughs> fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, Sandy, thanks for coming on. What, maybe what you could do is just do like a quick Cole's Notes version uh, of yourself and some of your um, experiences in the in the physiotherapy world. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm a physical therapist. I graduated a bajillion years ago, so I've been a PT 33 years. Um, I started when, when I went to Pacific University out in Oregon. Uh, we had a choice in our third year of the program to be either like a orthopedic joint based therapist and all the joint mobilizations and spinal mobilizations or to go into the um, neural plasticity neuromotor track and I picked that one um, so I, I doing a lot of things early in my career with uh, how the brain works and stroke rehab and developmental disability kind of things um, which really has helped a lot moving into orthopedics and pelvic health and pain because you get all of that background of, oh yeah, I remember that from school. Like who knew PT school actually was helpful. (laughs) (laughs) But also it helps, helps to pull everything together when we work with pain that the experience of working with kids, you know, people that don't, you can't just explain things to them. You have to prove it and show it and repeat it over again. And there's a lot of sensory work um to working with people with developmental disabilities that that may understand very completely what you're telling them but do not have the capacity to tell you what is going on and and that helps um to to because trying to explain what's going on with with our pain with a sensation that is very real to you as the human and then trying to get that sensation across to another human who can't ever possibly feel or understand what you're going through is hard. <laughs> and, and you can kind of read people struggling with that. And I think I, I lean pretty heavily on those early years of PT. Of It's real. It's very real. And we may not be able to communicate in the way that, that you need to, but we can work it out somehow. Um, 
I find myself lately really leaning back really heavily on that. Um, and then orthopedics and things. I moved around a lot. I was married to an army guy, so I moved every two or three years wherever the army sent him, which isn't really how you would choose your career path. <laughs> Where are you going to, where's your next job? I don't know. I'll find out in six months. Um, that was, that was fun. And it, uh, I think makes it a um, very eclectic at the most gracious description of what my job experiences have been. Um, but, you know, you try and learn something from everywhere. Sometimes that I'm never doing it this way um, is the lesson. And, and you just keep building on it. Um, I don't know, that's kind of my, my thing. So now I have a, a private practice in Chicago with Sarah Haig. We're in our eighth year. Um, and it's so much fun because we got to build it up the way we wanted it uh, to create a space that confounded people's expectations of what physical therapy was and that we enjoy being at. So our patients like it there and we like it there. Just nice. Um, I love it. It's fun. Yeah, that's a good spot to be in. I would say we we similarly did the same thing within the last year, um, opened up our own place and feeling the same way that, uh, that you're feeling. So I, I think that that's great um, to hear that you kind of came around to many different areas and finally fell towards what sounds like, you know, a good a good spot for you. Oh, it's super fun, which is great because it, you know, 33 years as a PT, I love what I do. And that's 13 years longer than when I graduated, I thought any PT would work. Mm -hmm. Like, like, why? Why are you still working? Um, money. <laughs> but also, but also, I love it. I wouldn't, you know, this is what I like to do. And I think there aren't that many professions that can be like that. We can literally reinvent ourselves constantly. We're doing it now. We have to do it now with the things with long COVID and how that changes pain in people and how we we interact with people and, and our expectations and and program design. It's all changing again. So. I'm curious because you have said something, I think you said like that your practice may confound people's expectation. What do you think, what is it about your practice that you think is different than what people might expect from PT? I think as soon as you walk in the door, it there are not um well the walls aren't white and there aren't curtains around little hard hardly padded treatment tables um and it looks like kind of a cross between someone's loft and library and yoga studio with some private rooms um so it's just it's comfortable and there's there's weights leaning around in there and and um and rings from the ceiling um, and, and a yoga swing. I mean, it's just weird. There's a trampoline in the corner. It's <laughs> stuff from the hula hoops. There's things that you wouldn't really expect walking into like one of the large um, drive-through therapy places where they see three or four people an hour and it's a lot of tables lined up so you can have that efficiency of seeing everyone at one time. It's not like that. So you walk in and it's like, there's leather chairs in front of you and a nice carpet and they're like, what's going to happen in here. And that's really cool because it's if you've ever talked to or heard Bronnie Thompson talk about the the expectations people bring and the effort that it takes for people to get to therapy. I think when when someone's especially coming in with pain that they've been dealing with for a really long time and they come in thinking that the evaluation is going to either be painful in itself or a waste of their time 
or someone else telling them to do again the thing that they've done four times. Um, it's a very nice, powerful spot to to create a space where people have to, to walk in and go, wait, this isn't what I thought. And, and in that space, we can find out how to make different paths forward because the path they were on wasn't helping very much. That makes sense. Yeah, you're like creating. <laughs> no, no, for I'm sure. Totally we're we're totally on board with yeah. that. Yeah. It's, it's very similar to what we've tried to do because I think if you're, like you said, you're asking people to undergo something that could be really challenging. It could be, you know, different than what they expect. And so having the environment be set up for them to have success, you know, and to feel like, oh yeah, I, I could see how I could get back to where I was or whatever they want to achieve, you know, in this place. Yeah, or, and, and even just, this is gonna be different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I will take just that space, just that pause between a great, I'm back in PT again, the doctor sending me one more time, um, I read on the internet, nothing can get better. This person said that I can only get better with their technique and it didn't work. So what does that mean to me? And, and just to walk in and have that, huh, moment, we can really work in that space in the, in the silence of what's going on here, um, in a good way. Uh, and I, I use that often. Yeah. I think it can be very powerful. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, Tanya, was I know you reviewed an article like for Physio Network, just kind of talking about the BPS model and, and is there like something beyond that? Um, and I would like to dive into a little bit of, of like, you know, the BPS model and maybe how we're seeing that there's more to it and some of the things that we're re recognizing that maybe we're not doing, I don't want to say well, but we're just not doing within the BPS model that can be helpful with regards to treating pain. So could you comment a little bit on that? Yeah, there is um, well, one. Uh, so the concept of biopsychosocial as a framework is very not new. Right. <laughs> it's been around for a really long time. Um, and even though even though we talk about it, like my school back in, you know, last century, we were talking about how to get that whole person involved after someone's had a stroke. It's not just their hemiplegia you're dealing with, you're dealing with that person and their environment and their needs. So it's been around the edges, but to really emphasize it like, like it's happening now, it's like the buzzword in therapy. There are challenges to that because it can, there's a trap or that old phrase is Darby dragons. There is a, um, there's a challenge and a trap in there in thinking that it's these pretty three little neat circles. And, and if I address the biological challenges for this person and I talk to them about how they're feeling and I ask if things are fine at home, then, then I've done my part for it to be biopsychosocial, but we're missing so much from looking at it like that because, because it is not that easy and it's, messy and it's all interconnected and and I think that traditionally and I'm holding myself to this standard in the, the courses I've taught and how I've treated I have undervalued the social part of that and under oversimplified the psychological part of that um, and and that's been a really interesting challenge for me from reading those papers and the podcast we did on pain science and sensibility on this and some other conversations I've had of, okay, given we're treating the whole person, this is a holistic 
approach. That doesn't mean we're burning incense and invoking ancestors not to mock anyone. Those are things that people, patients have told me. Um, so direct quotes. Um, the, it, it means we're, we're accepting that a person is a complex individual in a complex system that's in another complex system. So it's like these little nesting dolls um, and, and space and time are folded at the same time. You guys didn't know we were gonna get totally philosophical. So it happens when I've spent the whole entire morning drinking caffeine. I'm a, hey, um, we're, we're, about, we're about this, Sandy, so keep going. Excellent. So I think, I think that what we, what we can do in healthcare is to really look at that and, and switch it up a little. And maybe, you know, like, hey, biopsychosocial, I'm gonna put this in context. Well, what if I spend my week being socio-bio-psycho and, and really, like, am I delving into your relation in your, in your community? And how, how does your exercise program we worked with, how does that fit into the things that need to happen in your life? And is it integrated into your life? Or is it this compartmentalized piece you do somewhere? And then you forget about it and go do other stuff. Um, and how can, we, how can we get it to be a whole thing? Like one entire word, not three different words. Um, and that really is is moldable and meets the person that we're working with. Um, it's not easy, and it's not just this checkbox that you do to say, "Yep, asked you how you're feeling, done." Um, it's it's you got to really spend some time making things fit for people so that it will be more successful. It sounds like it's more just like because you're still gonna you know, in, in my mind, like hearing you talk about it, it's like, you're still going to ask questions in terms of like, just trying to make sure that you are not only asking about, um, you know, just the biological aspects of things, mm -hmm. but then not being so rigid as to just like dismiss things or reduce them down to a checkbox. So like, trying to allow things to emerge as you're going through and getting to know this person. Absolutely. And to use that information to help to create a, a stickier self-treatment program. You know, if you find out work is the most stressful environment and they tend to hurt more at work than they do at home. And it's not just, you know, like, well, how's your desk? And, and does it fit? And what are you doing with your body? And, but also, okay, well, what's up with that? What are ways we can change it? What's something that, that works really well at home to help you feel better in yourself? How are all the ways we could make that happen at work too? And to, to not just note those things, but to use them. Um, and I think that goes back to changing expectations. Because if you, if you think, hey, it's going to hurt more at work, and we can change that, then that has a, the possibility of a really powerful cascade into the future of, huh, it doesn't have to work in the afternoon, hurt in the afternoons at work. Look, it's, last week was good. Maybe this can change. And, and I think that that's, that's been something I haven't used enough, and I am challenging myself to do more of that. Because um, this isn't just me digging on the rest of the profession. It's like, no, I need to get better at this too. Of, it's missed opportunities of ways to get into the system and change it. I like, like a lot positive. Of your questions are like 
exploratory and they're also you're trying to hear like what i'm hearing is it seems like you're trying to get their perspective on like what factors are important not necessarily right. like just hearing them checking a box and be like oh work is influence the pain it's like what do they think about that experience right and to work on their expectations and then change them because because you, you can help them make it better than they thought it was going to be. And that has to have a change in, in just their, their inflammatory load. You know, and although the biology we try and affect, thoughts and beliefs and expectations can drive that. So what if we use that aggressively, politely, nicely, and individualized, but not leave it out? And certainly not leave it out as a, well, I tried all my manual skills and I've talked to them about how they feel and their expectations and they're they're happy at home. I suppose I should now dig a little deeper into the, the contextual model that goes along with this. Let's do it from the first minute they walk in the door and, and keep it woven through the whole time. Why do you think it isn't, hasn't become like woven in all the time? Like, where do you feel like the struggle is with that? takes time. Yeah. Honestly, I think it takes time and people are at least here in the States concerned about how they would build for that. Right. Like if I take 10 minutes, just sitting and listening to someone or problem solving a simple movement, what code do I use for that? And will insurance cover mm -hmm. it? Um, and unfortunately, I think there are still a lot of therapists in the U S that are operating under that model, not necessarily because they want to, but because that's the requirements of their job. Um, and that's a sad situation, which I, I think leads to a lot of therapist burnout because they're like, I'm trying really hard and I'm trying to incorporate all these things that I listen to on these podcasts. But every time I try and do it, my patients love it and I get hammered at work. You know, I only build three units instead of four and that's not okay. I think those kind of things are challenges from our side of it. Um, that's one. The other thing is it can be scary and very vulnerable and go badly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And that that's, you know, it's a lot easier to say, Hey, let's do squats. <laughs> like, come on, get on that trampoline and see how you do. Um, that's a whole lot easier because we're familiar with it and it's comfortable and we know how to work on form and we know how to rub a spot until it doesn't hurt anymore. And we know how to do all of those things. But to put them in a contextual, sloppy, psychosocial model is challenging. It's fun, but it's it's not as comfortable as just doing exercises and talking about positions and form. It can lead to like big like. So I think you're right on the money with like the time thing. Yeah. Because we do we do our sessions. And mm -hmm. like we used to do shorter sessions and I've really found that like it, like you said, it takes time because you can't just be always asking really difficult questions, you know, but sometimes they kind of come up and it'll be like the third session in 45 minutes into a session. And then like suddenly now this 15 minute time period that you're having is super important. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's always the last 15 minutes <laughs> yeah. like, when someone else is, is already waiting and, and they finally open up to you and you're like, yeah, that's great. Um, 
hope. <laughs> As they just open this Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, thank you. No one's ever asked me that. They start crying. They start sharing things with you. And you're like, ah, ah, okay. Now how do I, how do I hear them, not have them feel rushed, have, give them something to work on till the next time I see them and get them out of here, get my room turned over and see the next person. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not simple. And it's not something you can pass off to a tech. Um, it's like, you know, I know you're starting to, to talk now, but Joe's going to come in here and he's going to write down everything you say and right. see you next week is, is not going to work. Yeah. Um, Sandy, I'm just going to pause for a second. I don't know if it's like your mic on your hair. It just seems, is it, I think it might be if the mic is like hitting it a little bit. See, I don't have a beard. I just got that. <laughs> there you go. Hair. That's better. So better? That, that sounds a little better. It was just kind of like getting like some feedback there, but, um, yeah. So now to come back to the conversation, um, with regards to, you know, looking beyond the biopsychosocial model, um, you know, and talking about the paper that you discussed on your podcast, which is like looking at, was it the inactive approach to care? Is that, is that correct? Mm -hmm. yep. How does that, I mean, we don't have to dive into the, the details of it because you guys did a really good job of that on your podcast and we'll just push people towards that. But, you know, maybe summarizing a little bit of how that is different than the BPS model and how, like, if you're, you know, using that as a way to now drive your approach to managing pain or... I have been using that, but especially the, the inactive kind of part of it to, to, to be more purposely conversational about how I ask those questions. So it's not so much checklist, it's um, a purposeful engagement in questions that try and then pull them into making the answers be not just yes or no, so open-ended for sure, but also, um, consciously how does how does this relate to working with your kids or going to the grocery store and i, I am con consciously putting them in contextual questions to, to try and pull that more of the social aspects of what we could be using and more of the beyond just how are you feeling and what are your expectations psychological thought-based questions and that that paper really did a lot for me for thinking, I have not been using every tool that we have. I've been, I've been using the ones I'm comfortable with, but I haven't really been pushing myself trying to get them even more engaged and more independently engaged instead of me asking questions that then I can use to drive treatment, which was what I did before is now, can I frame my questions to get you engaged in this conversation instead of just answering a question. Mm. Not therapy small talk, but but really yeah. really trying to to get some more conceptual load in my questions, but also in their answers. Yeah, it seems like very intentional. Very intentional, which is harder than, hey, here's the three questionnaires I like using because they answer all of these for me. And then I can ask follow-up questions if I want to. I'm doing more conversational use of that um, and letting them drive it a little more. It's it's new for me still. And now that I had a student for a while, so I didn't really get to play with it uh, 
but now that I don't, I'm, that's what I'm kind of trying to focus on in the clinic is more purposeful engagement and patient directed conversations about context mm. and getting better at asking better questions. What have you all the while still doing exercise and manual therapy and being a PT? Right. What what have you noticed? What have you noticed that's been different since you've made that intentional shift? Have you noticed anything in your in the way that your clients have been responding or just in some maybe even some outcomes that you've had? I've gotten them giving me more ideas. So instead of me giving them ideas, I'm getting more patient ideas and information. And I always tried to get that before, but I think I think just the shift in questioning that like, what are all the ways you could do this? Or how can you tell me three different ways that this was easy for you at work? And it's all, it still goes back to motivational interviewing questions and basic parenting. Cause that's what you do with sullen teenagers that don't want you to tell, they want to tell you what's going on in their life. It's like, tell me three things that went good at school. <laughs> yeah. um, so some of it sounds very familiar, but they are ways to get people engaged and tell you, their point of view, their perspective of what's going on in their body. So I can't feel someone's pain, but I also need them to tell me their perspective on their pain. Not just where it is and what it feels like. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the questioning side of that is where I can see it becoming very important. Like asking the right questions in the right way is going to be able to elicit those, you know, those responses. But if you're not even thinking about how you're asking the questions one, because maybe you just haven't thought about it or two, you know, coming back to the time aspect of it. Um, you probably could not probably you're, you, you could be missing a lot of key information that you could use for, for that individual. I think so. Um, that's my hope anyway, that I can, that I can incorporate this well and have it be, um, unconsciously intentional. You know, as we practice things, it just becomes part of how we do. Um, and, and that's getting easier. And it's really, but again, I, you know, I talked about not having this be linear. It's so imagine that conversation happening while I'm working on somebody for range of motion or a neurodynamic movement or some side of kind of sensory integration technique, but we're talking about the, the sensation they're feeling in their body. Other times they feel that do you think at work you could do this? You know, and so all of those questions and and give me ideas and how could you reproduce this at home? Remembering I, I work predominantly with pelvic pain. So logistically trying to to do self-treatment manual techniques on your own pelvis is socially unacceptable in most settings. Um, so trying to come up with ways to to recreate things that were helpful that people could creatively put into their day in public <laughs> without getting arrested um, is, is usually part of the conversations. And they get a little raunchy sometimes, but they're always really fun. And at the same time, I'm using some really old techniques of watching how people are breathing, watching what their eye contact is like. So looking for those contextual cues of, is this human in front of me comfortable with this conversation or is it somehow really hard and their breathing chains or their they pull back away from you all those little postural cues that tell you whether something's easy or hard or boring or or engaging and trying to lean towards interesting and engaging 
How do you, how do you feel like this approach, you know, even, even talking about the, the BPS model and now talking more about this inactive approach to pain, like, how do you think that has been accepted by like our profession? Like, do you see, do you see it moving forward in, in the right direction? Do you still, do you feel like there's still some, some pushback, some hesitancy, maybe, maybe even like we talked about just the environments in which we majority of physios treat in, it's not conducive to that approach. Like what's kind of the overall feeling around, around that? I am, this is going to surprise anyone who knows me. Um, but I think I'm overly optimistic and <laughs> think that, that there's, I, I want to think that it's being reasonably well accepted and starting to be taught in schools, but I, don't see that it's happening in clinics. And I say that with that kind of hesitation because it's mostly a reporting bias. It's patients that come and tell me that, yeah. you know, their experience and what it was like. And, oh man, the things that are still being said to people in 2021. Um, but I have, to, I have to note that I don't see the people that got better. So I I'm only seeing the people that didn't get better. Um, hopefully there are more that had successful outcomes and learned independent management and, and extinguishing of their symptoms and all of those things we aim for. And I'm just not seeing them. Right. So I'm cautiously optimistic, but it's, it's again, it goes back to those practice models and this requires time and training and practice and failure and do you work in a clinic where where it can go badly and and you have time to recover um and by badly i mean like you have a fabulous idea you put all the thought into it it's contextually perfect with their life and you're like hey let's try this and they're like no i don't like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah you're like okay well back to the drawing board <laughs> There goes, there goes last night sitting there with my notes, trying to figure out a creative plan forward. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think that uh, lack of a solid plan for therapists to follow can be intimidating and scary for some people. Um, and that's no, no insult to them. It is hard, um, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. So I think worthy. Um, and then it goes back to that organizational. Do you work at a place that supports that? Or do they really just want the most amount of units, the most highest paid units in the highest volume, and they don't care what you do. It's all about getting that money in the door. Awesome. And they care what you do. Just make sure people like it so they send other people. But it's not about what's the best evidence or what may create the most independent. Hmm. From like the evidence standpoint, though, I can imagine something like this would be difficult to study. Yeah, and it's not turning out well. Yeah. Um, no, there was the one out of, you guys can't, because this is not a visual, but I have the curled up nose of yuck. Um, <laughs> the research is not turning out well. It's, it's, it's like we think this works, but then you do a well-designed study, like out of Laura Mosley's group and James McCauley's groups doing some work. And yeah. We have more to learn about. So what is the thing that is helping these people? Because it doesn't appear to be some of the things we thought it was even five years ago. Um, people are getting better, but sort of. I mean, we still are horrible at treating low back pain. Um, 
So, so we have a lot more to learn, which is humbling and exciting. And I love the honesty in the researchers that we come across saying, hey, we had this great idea. Here's our hypothesis. Here's how we test it. That didn't work. And what might be going on and what direction do we need to go forward? Again, I find that really super exciting because it makes me feel better about I was in the clinic and I was doing all this stuff and it didn't work. Huh. Yeah. Well, look at that. I'm just like the researchers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, well, that makes it challenging to, let's say, shift the overall view of, you know, how we approach pain. If people are going to be, well, the research isn't there to support it. And they're still falling back on, let's say, some old ways of viewing. Right. So it makes it challenge. It makes it challenging to have that shift to push a shift yeah um there are so many jokes in there though because you know what what do we have research for that's yeah, true in physical therapy it's true. uh if we were good at this back pain would not be the leading cause of disability still um but then yeah so there's no evidence actually that that means it's got six booths in a conference hall and everyone's teaching it because uh, that's what a lot of the stuff with no evidence is like. But I think the challenge goes back to there's not really, there's not as much money to be made in teaching someone to be um, self, um, to be able to self-treat themselves most of the time and to have a strong level of independence. There is nothing to sell. Um, so we're, we're working to make ourselves not necessary and be there as um, supported supporting their independence. And that doesn't come with books or creams or procedures or certifications or any of those things that are flashy and. Right. Comes down to how you, how you value, how you value your serve the service, right? Like we're valuing, we're valuing those things. Then yeah, that's, you know, we're going to continue to have to do that in order to generate revenue, let's say, but if we're, go ahead. Oh, no, it's going to say, and it's good. That's a good thing. Because if you generate that revenue with them, then they go away and they tell all their friends and they'll come see you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is going to say, if we're, if we're generating, like, you know, if we're showing them this approach, this approach and valuing like a longer time with the, with the therapist and the education around it and making it context specific and all of those things, we're showing that that's valuable, then people are going to, are willing to pay for that. Um, and seek out those services in order to then help people realize that, hey, maybe this is the way that we can do things and we don't necessarily have to continue to do it that w- the, the other way that we were talking about, you know, with creams and all that fun stuff. But feeling good is fabulous. I think people should feel good as often as they can. Um, and if you can do that for yourself, that's even better because you can take it on the road. For sure. Get back to the fun things in life. <laughs> There is nothing, it's a, a Sarah Haig, my business partner and friends quote that I stole from her is, I can discharge you to a home program, but what if we just get you back to doing the things you love and and not, not being discharged to a home program, but being set free into your life, mm. um, which is so much more fun than doing another set of clams. Yeah. What, to wrap up, you know, you're optimistic. I'm very optimistic person as well. I'm on board with this. What, what do you think allows for optimism to then become reality? Repetition, just like anything else, put it under some load, do it again. Um, we gotta, we gotta keep building the stacking up the wins and building the positive experiences for ourselves. 
uh, as therapists and and certainly seeing that in our patients but and i do think that because that kind of grows your community wherever you're treating people because you end up then with these walking billboards of of talking to their friends and saying well yeah you're still going to that person i'm not mm. because i just want to play tennis and i'm a little stiff but i know what to do to unstiffen it and and maybe you should go see my person because you don't seem to be doing well and we can get people out there with an expectation that you get hurt but you get better and it it's not going to rob you of your life it might change it a little but but you're not done and i think there's there's a need for that kind of hope and optimism it's hard work and you got to put in the reps but yeah yeah, no, that's so, that's so key. Long with the day that one of our, our clients meets someone else and like, oh, your knee's just a little sensitive. You know, that's normal because you just ran for the first time in a year. You'll be okay. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was my proudest, well, one of my proudest mom moments was when one of my sons was telling his friends that. Yeah. I was like, that's so cool. You still don't put your clothes away, but you totally unscared this person about falling off their bike. This is great. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, yeah, because if we can teach people that, then then they'll take care of most of the stuff that needs to be done. And we can help the people that have tried that and it didn't help and they just need a little outside perspective and maybe another set of hands. Mm -hmm. um, we'll never be out of work and the population will be healthier. Should be great. Yeah, it sounds like a win to me. Um... Sandy, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on today. Um, I would love for you to leave where people can find more about you. I know you're big on Twitter, um, your podcast, anywhere else that you want to push people to uh, to follow you or check out your stuff. You can check out entropy.physio. That's our, our website uh, for the clinic. We are somewhat irregular blog writers when the spirit moves us um, and uh, have are back to hosting classes again. Uh, we took a small break from the craziness of last year and we're starting live courses again for people who have been fully vaccinated um, but we're still going to do a lot of things over the internet because that access was fabulous um, so yep entropy.physio you can find me on twitter most of the time at sandy hilton pt and yeah check out pain signs and sensibility Awesome. Yeah. Sandy, thanks so much. And I'm going to dive more into your podcast. I was listening to that episode. I'm like, ah, oh, I need more, more of this in my life. So I'm going to be tuning in and, uh, and checking it out. Good. So thank you for, thank you for doing that as well. Excellent. Thanks very much for having me on. This was fun.